We are in our final week of a series called Different Voices, which is basically people that I get to listen to all the time. I have the luxury and the pleasure of listening to them, either by giving them phone calls or listening to their podcasts or whatever. And I thought it would be fun uh, to take six weeks off, no, uh, and, and to have you hear the people uh, that I get to hear. This next speaker is a dear friend of mine and has been a coach of mine as well in leadership development, and uh, she's in charge of the intern program. I'll let her do all that, uh, introduce herself with all that stuff. But um, I just wanted to say that um, we really, really mm. appreciate you, uh, mm. Lisa and I. Um, I am a better husband, a better father, and a better pastor because of Kelly Soifer. And so Kelly, would you come on up? Thank you so much for being here. Lord Jesus, we just uh, thank you for Kelly. Thank you for her impact on the kingdom. Thank you for all the ways that she um, sees the bigger picture and that she uh, wants to build the church of Jesus Christ and mm -hmm. wants you to be glorified and honored in all things. So we just pray for her now and do the blessing upon her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. <sighs> wow, I'm here. This is great. I'm going to try to fit all this stuff on here. Um, did I do that right? Yeah, who am I? When, <laughs> I'd love to know. Um, so there's my name, and just so you know, uh, most people mispronounce it, and I don't know why, because I think it's pretty self-evident, but Soifer is like surfer with a Brooklyn accent, okay? So can you say that? Soifer, you got that? My dad was Jewish, it, it totally works. People, when I was in college, um, you know, <laughs> Professors would kind of think it was French, and they'd say "soifé." <laughs> so, um, and and I'd be like, "No," um, but you couldn't correct them when there was 400 people in there. So, um, my official title—let's get this up there—is it working? I don't. Did it go backwards? Oh, left. I haven't done it with an iPad before. Um, what happened? I'm good. Yeah? So that's my title. Isn't that crazy? Oh, look at that. I love a logo. Uh, so I, my official title is, um, you know, Free Methodists. That's what our church is, right? Um, we are, belong to a conference, and that's all of our churches from Santa Barbara to San Diego, and I work for the conference, and I am the director of the Center for Transformational Leadership. And that, we found that name on the internet. It doesn't mean anything. But, um, so, but because I had to be a director of something. And, um, but I want to say, and this is the best, most important thing I want to say today, really, and that is that Living Spring has been our best site for the internship. And if I engage that too much emotionally, I'm going to start crying. So I was moved during the service. Um, I can say this in all, in all honesty. I love this church. Because you have, you get it, Okay. I am in a lot of places who don't get it, okay? You get it. And I hope to, to get to explain a little bit more what I mean by that. Um, but what my role has been partway through the conference has been to run this thing, crazy thing called the intern program. And maybe you'll recognize uh, some of these names. Um, because what happened is since 2011, um, I've gotten to be involved with helping these interns kind of land here. And I think you might recognize some of them. Corey Louie up in the left, little Annie Kyle up there on the right, 
who's that guy? That was when you were a young buck. Now you're just a mature man. Oh, wait, who's that? Oh, someone special. And I want to show you, I'm in the picture with her, so just so we're clear on that, on, on what he's got to run things through. So, um, and then we've got Seth, and he's been amazing, and then we had Scott come in there, and then we had uh, Seth's twin brother, Gavin. And it has been just a wild ride, and I just thank you so much for letting them be here and learn. And one of the things I've appreciated so much about John's leadership is that he's fearless. And he has allowed these interns to, to do things that, frankly, I can't get any of the other churches to do. So when you stand up front and you let a 20-year-old preach and you know what that's going to be like. And that's just fine. But they're getting to try things on. Because one of the mistakes I think we make is that we talk about these interns as future leaders. I say they're leaders now. And we have to release them to lead now. There isn't some time when you all of a sudden arrive and pop up and now you're a leader, right? You learn by doing. And so you have been willing to let them learn how to lead. I started officially in leadership when I was 21 years old and I made so many mistakes and I'm so grateful that I was given the freedom to learn. And my goal for our interns is you're gonna make mistakes. That's because you're taking risks, right? But fail forward, <laughs> that would be preferable. Learn, and don't make the same mistake again. Just make new ones. That, that, that's my hope for you. So, but just so you kind of understand where I'm coming from. So I, I had a, a life before the intern program. And I would say, I want to tell you, before I found free Methodism, um, who was I? So I became a Christian at 15 years old. I did not grow up going to church. You may have heard me quickly mention that my dad was Jewish. He was a non-practicing Jew. Um, grew up in the valley in North Hollywood. And uh, someone's from the valley. What? What? I don't even know what that means. But I. So, um, but my mom grew up in the Midwest, and she came out west to be a junior high teacher, and met my dad. And they said, "Why would we let religion get in the way? We just won't raise our kids with anything. It totally works for me." So that's what happened, and that's so easy in California. I mean, I got down here. I live in Santa Barbara. Um, Someone has to. (laughs) Um, So, and I drove down and got here in two hours because, man, the freeways are empty on Sunday morning, aren't they, Southern California? So, um, but I got here, and it was so easy to grow up not going to church, and that worked until I was about 15, and then I started doing that crazy teenager thing where I started questioning everything, um, including the meaning of life and who am I? And, you know, that was all mixed in and like, oh, I think that guy is cute, and how can I find a party? But I, I did ask those big questions, And I made a lot of mistakes because I tried to find all my answers in the wrong places first. But fortunately, some Christians found me and drew me in. And I found what I'd been looking for. So I became a Christian. And then uh, that was through a ministry called Young Life. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Young Life. a great outreach ministry. And I needed that because I never would have gone to church. It never would have occurred to me that that's where you go to find the answer to life's problems. I was completely untouched and unfamiliar with church. Young Life came and got me, and then I eventually started working for Young Life when I started my senior year of college and became a volunteer, and after two years, they were silly enough to ask me to come on staff, and I became the director of the Central Coast, so from about San Luis Obispo down to Ventura. Did that for about 13 years, and then the church I was attending asked me to start uh, a youth ministry, and I uh, was a youth pastor for 15 years. 
So, you know, I would have thought it was easy to go from this, you know, outside parachurch ministry working with unchurched kids to working with church kids and their families. Easy peasy. <laughs> uh, church families are hard, <laughs> I'm going to admit. So, but I lasted for 15 years and worked with 5th through 12th grade and really had a great time. And then... In 2009, I transitioned and started teaching religious studies. Somewhere in there, I got my master's degree at Fuller Seminary in theology. I started teaching religious studies a little bit with Westmont College, which is where I met Audrey, and, uh, and all these wonderful interns that have come from there. And then I also started teaching religious studies at a Christian prep school. So if you're paying attention, you'll see that my whole adult life has been spent working with students. I really have enjoyed that. And they're almost, their reality is more real to me than what's going on with my peers. I, I won't let you do the math and I won't tell you, but I, you know, I'm, this isn't my first rodeo. I've been here for a while. And, but I really enjoy and love and seek after students and they've taught me a lot. And I love paying attention to what they're thinking about and talking about. Now what also happens with that, and this Kip touched on this a little bit and I know Jonathan, it's his life too, is that also involves a lot of a lot of mixers and a lot of games. So I'm going to make you. So I'm going to make you do one. Okay. So it, it's it's really easy. Don't worry. It won't be embarrassing. It's just a simple one. You're going to turn to someone next to you and share what was the first concert you went to. Okay. Go ahead. Just talk to the person next to you. It can be anything. A lot of humming. A lot of yeah. Hi, Facebook. Sorry, I haven't talked to you yet. <clears throat> okay, there's some laughter going on, so I want to see. Okay. Okay, rally. Um, hey, I'm up here. Yeah, thank you. Um, so, remember I said that I started in Young Life and worked basically with pagans, and I come from, I would really confidently say a pagan background, and then um, I've worked in the church, and I always crack up when I've used this question over the years. You know, with Young Life students, there was always this one answer, and it'd be some crazy thing. And my, my first concert was Leonard Skinner, okay, and Santana. I mean, it was, and Peter Frampton. Those were all the same day. Bam. Free bird for half an hour, that's all I have to say. But, um, so, but, you know, then you go into the church, and they're like, audio adrenaline, you know, de- you know, um, uh, Amy Grant, <laughs> you know, and so I, I don't, I don't even know what that means. I didn't go to those concerts, but, um, so I'm just curious. I'm going to take a risk. What were some people's, go ahead and raise your hand, call out. What was your first concert? Beethoven? Beethoven? Yeah. Like the original Beethoven or? <laughs> so you look pretty young. Yeah. That's great. Classical music back there. Emerson, Lake and Palmer, ELP. Oh yeah. Okay. Back there. Beach Boys, Beach Boys, fabulous. Right there. Pinky Boys. Pinky Boys. Okay, my my freshman year of college, we sang the wall like it was you know, without need no education. We thought we were so cool saying that in college. Whatever. Okay, a couple more people back there. The Carpenters. I'm seeing a certain demographic here, John. <laughs> okay, right there. I need something else. 
Sex Pistols. Bam. All right. Yes, right there. Oh my gosh. This is legit. Like sometimes I grew up in the 70s. I think that's rather obvious. And, and people will go, oh, the 70s. I go, yeah, when music was real. Yeah. So, yes, Ajwa. Sting. Oh. Oh my gosh. The police in college. I can hear it in the dorms. Okay, sorry. I could get going forever. Now, somehow you need to rally back. So, I use questions like that mostly to talk about myself, so just so you know. And I don't want to show off, and Audra touched on it. Um, I got to go to the Coldplay concert last week, as did your pastor and his son, um, which is so awesome. And um, it was amazing. We, it was at the Rose Bowl, and I don't do that as often as I used to when I was younger. Um, and there's, there's just kind of no way to describe what happened at that concert because it was just a visually overwhelming. <laughs> I mean, it was so incredible. Um, and it was just visually this really, and it's at the Rose Bowl, about 75,000 people. And um, I'm sure I could get Adwa or any of the musicians to come up and talk about this, but remember I said earlier, working with students my whole life, I've learned how to pay attention to culture and what they care about, what they're interested in, and the most important thing, almost all students, is music. Right? And so I've always paid attention to what music they're listening to. And I'm not saying that I've loved all of it, you know. And there's a lot of music that I kind of go, uh, garbage in, garbage out. You know, it's not stuff that I want to I listen to. But there's a message in all of it. They're saying something that we should be listening to. And not only that, but we also need to think about at a concert, the set list. Because they're putting those songs together for a reason. That's why it's so difficult for musicians to have their music sold one by one per song. Am I right? Because there's an art, there's a craft to putting all the music together as an album. Because that's making a message. That's making a statement. That's the artistic expression, too. And so I, I paid attention. I mean, part of it is you're just in the moment and you're in the music. And so, but one of the things I love about concerts is then you think about it so much after, right? And don't worry, I'm going to cite some things from the Coldplay concert. You don't have to be familiar with their music at all to understand what I'm going to talk about. But I want us to pay attention to four songs in particular in their set list that really hit me. And I, I, I listen. I'm trying to listen. So the first one was a song called uh, Charlie Brown. And it's, it's just about a crazy party life. The chorus goes, we'll run wild, we'll be glowing in the dark, living innocent wild, we'll run wild. And it's just about trying to find happiness and joy in just partying as hard as you can. And I, I tried that in high school. I really, I so desperately wanted to fit in that that was my freshman year of high school. So I, I understand that. Well, right after that is this song that is the, the title of their next album, and it's called Hymn for the Weekend. And it's got this really interesting idea. He talks about life is a drink and love's a drug. And then the chorus over and over is, I'm so drunk, I'm so high, which obviously is very appealing to people because it but if you, if you go deeper, it's actually a sober message. He's drunk on life and high on love. And so now we're going from actual partying in that first song, transitioning into partying by being in a relationship and trying to find all your joy and all your happiness in this angelic person that he refers to in the song. I'm so drunk and high on you, right? 
Well, then what was fascinating is to watch how he moved. And visually, I, I can't even capture it, but there was this runway that came off the main stage that was probably about 200 yards long. And the lead singer, Chris Martin, would run down as fast as he could. And sometimes fireworks would be going on after him. And it's just like, what would that be like to experience that as a person? But he runs down and they'd run back up. And then he just he stopped at the top of the runway and laid on his back and started singing Fix You, the song that Audra had us sing, at, or she played at the beginning. And that's, if you're familiar with that song, it's this song about basically, I'm entering in the deepest mess of your pain. I want to be with you. In fact, I kind of want to get in your pain and in your problem because I think I can fix you. And I hope it's not a big revelation to you that no people can fix other people. And so here we're going from heavy-duty partying to trying to find an answer to life in a relationship to thinking that I can fix you, and that really becomes this whole kind of pattern of addiction and codependency and just being enmeshed and all these fancy words that just talk about we're, we're getting addicted to things and to one another and to relationships. And then he, he, he moved into the song Heroes, which was a cover of a David Bowie song, the I can be king, you can be queen, and even for a day. And, um, and then that went into the song um, Viva La Vida. Is that showing up on the screen okay? Yeah. Um, and that was the song that the Apple iTunes, you know, knew, uh, used for quite a while in, uh, in uh, 2010, which is... Um, I can rule the world, you know. And so it goes from, again, I wanted you to see this process of amazing, and what I feel like I saw was a map of the human heart. We can go to parties. Oh, I love that. We can go and fall in love. We can get lost in addiction, and that can be to a multitude of things, to relationships, to drugs, to alcohol to pornography, to sex, to work, to exercise. We all got these different addictions. Or the one that I think is the most addictive of all, power. These four things, those songs touched on all of them. And it was so powerful to me to see the way they understand the way we work. We're looking to get our needs met. We're looking for answers in all of these things, aren't we? We're trying to fill that big hole inside. And I think the temptation for us, once you've been going to church for a while, is to just point your finger and go, yeah, God, they're so messed up. Wow, I feel sorry for them. They're so messed up. They're so lost. That's so sinful. I can't, I can't get near that because it's, it's, it's going to be messy and it's going to affect me. But at one point during the concert, I'm looking around, well, this actually happened several times, and I'm looking, and people are singing every word to every song. And I mean, the veins are practically popping out in their neck. I mean, they're just, they're singing these songs with everything they have because it's voicing their needs, their feelings. And I would call that a cry of the heart. I would call that the deepest desires that we have. And I want to hear that. I mean, I was telling John about the the concert experience. I was comparing notes. He went on the second night. I went on the first night. And I said, this is their church. You know, they're getting it all out there. 
And we have to pay attention to that. And I think as, as followers of Jesus, whether you've been doing it for a week or you've been doing it for 50 years, we want to have hearts that break with the things that break the heart of God. And what I saw at this concert broke my heart. I saw people crying out to find out why they're here, what their purpose is, what their meaning is. And I want us to take a few minutes to think about how we can respond as believers. We're going to go to the book of Philippians. And I don't know if you've got your actually printed Bibles out or you look on your devices. Well, uh, I'll go ahead and look at my device. Um, Philippians 2. And if you're not that familiar, remember I did not go to church for a minute of my life till I was 15. Took me forever to learn how to read the Bible. I had to go to graduate school really to learn how to do it. And um, Philippians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It was written by uh, this guy named Paul. And he wrote several uh, letters in the Bible. If you've heard of Romans or Galatians or Ephesians or Thessalonians or even the letters to Timothy. But one of the reasons I love Philippians is because it's an encouraging letter. And I want us to read through this passage slowly. All the other letters were written to correct something. But if Philippians, the, the, the core of this letter is keep doing what you're doing. Hang in there. So Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Just notice whatever stands out to you. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So what, what hits me here? So many things. If you notice, it's kind of, in your Bible, it's, it's set aside a little bit. It looks like it's one of the Psalms. It's a poem. And it's because it was an early hymn. They think it was one of the earliest hymns that was sung in the church. We have no idea what the melody was. But, and you may or may not know that in the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, in ancient Greek. And so this phrase, being in very nature God, is morphe theos in the original Greek. Morphe, like metamorphosis, the form of God. Because he's in very nature, his very essence is God. But then where the translation, sorry, I, I'm a little behind on my PowerPoint, I haven't. But then you go to verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Now, the original Greek word, he made himself nothing, is kino'o, which means to empty or pour yourself out. We're really learning about who Jesus is. Now, when he did that, he didn't empty himself of his godhood. He didn't say, now I have no identity, I'm a blank slate. He just poured out, and this is what's key. He emptied himself of his position, his comfort, and his privilege. So powerful that Jesus was willing to do that, even though he was in very nature God. And then he, remember, it's, it's a hymn, so there's some sort of pattern or rhyme in there, and he, he took on, as we see in verse 7, the humble position of a servant or slave. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And in the original Greek there, it's morphe again, doulos, which means servant. So we really enjoy and are so moved by the power of the truth that God became a person and entered the world. God became a man and entered the world. But really, what we're hearing, seeing here is that he, be, he left the comfort of heaven and more than being a person, Jesus came to earth as a slave, as a servant. He gave up his power, his comfort, his privilege, his position. And so what we see in this hymn is the contrast of Morphe Theos and Morphe Doulos. Now there's, we can read that and then we're like, Jesus, you're amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for doing that. But this is what messes me up. Go back to verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Ooh. Oh dear, what does that mean? I have to empty myself? I have to pour myself out? I have to give up my position, my privilege, my comfort? And meet people where they are? Oh, I mean, obviously that's what you're getting at when you do this ninja thing, when we fill up backpacks, when we enter our neighborhoods, but I think he wants us to keep digging. We're called to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, I want to explore that more. What does that mean? So now let's go to the Gospel of John. If you're in your Bibles, you turn left a little bit. Otherwise, you go to your device and you find the new <laughs> book of the Bible. Uh, and you go back to John 1. And the first uh, 18 verses of that is what's known as the prologue. It's the introduction to the Gospel of John. And we're going to again read this slowly. And no, no detail is too insignificant, so allow me to read that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, the Word, was there at the beginning, part of creation. Nothing was made without his knowledge. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this isn't the author of the gospel. This is John the Baptist, and you can read about him in Matthew 1. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. So he goes out ahead of Jesus. He makes the announcement. You know, he, he, he tells people that Jesus is coming. Some people started following him and thinking he was Messiah. But as it says here in verse 8, he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. So now we all get to join the family of God, and that's what I see here, that's what I've always heard about, 
and delighted in from everyone I've sent here is that the family that's here. We get to join that family through Jesus. But this is the, the, the kicker, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I'm going to go back to the original Greek again. So awesome. The word became flesh, and in the original Greek, literally it says, and he tabernacled among us. So if any of you know from the book of Exodus, when as they wandered through the desert, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, which we know about from Raiders of the Lost Ark, not quite, not quite the same, don't think that's the Bible, but the presence of God went with the people as they wandered through the desert. They tab- the tabernacle of God. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. If you've ever read the message, the paraphrase, by Eugene Peterson, trying to use kind of a modern interpretation of language here. He translates this verse as, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that great? The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So this, this whole concept of kenosis, which we, it comes from the word kenoo, emptying yourself, pouring yourself out, Leaving your place a position of familiarity and privilege. This isn't always about just wealthy people leaving their wealth and getting down with the poor. This is about just leaving whatever is comfortable to you. And I, there is no passage in the Bible that has had a greater impact on me than this passage. Poor Jonathan's heard me talk about this before. This is youth ministry. It's never demanding the students come to me. I literally live five minutes walking distance to the largest high school in Santa Barbara. 75% of my youth group went to this high school. But never in 15 years I worked with that church did I ever have a student knock on the door and say, could, could you tell me about Jesus? You know, they never came to me and did that. I had to go to them, right? I have been to more high school football games than every person in this room put together. <laughs> really a little bitter about it but you know so and football in Santa Barbara it's a non sequitur it's just, no it's not our sport but I for 27 years in a row every fall I was at a football game every Friday night I have been to more junior high musicals than anyone ever should have to go to <laughs> I have been to every talent show every play I've been to junior high and JV baseball games which is like watching grass grow okay <laughs> There's no squeeze play. There's no, like, wow, you know. There's, like, three guys out, three guys out. I mean, it's just, like, but you go because that's their world, right? We have to meet them where they are because they can't come to us. Jesus went before us to show us the way to do it. We couldn't work our way to him. He didn't get to call down from heaven, just climb a little higher. You know, he he can't do it. We have to go to him. I mean, sorry, he comes to us because we can't get to him. And we have to have the same mindset in our relationships to do that. I got ahead of myself. I got so excited. I already walked you through the passage. 
He tabernacled among us. So what does that mean? What are the implications for us? Let's go back to Philippians now, chapter 2. And again, I've told you that this passage, no, no passage has, has had greater impact on me, and really it's the whole chapter. The first four verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, verse 1, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So the Christian life is a challenge. Because basically, we can look for all the answers to life in the way the world offers. And we, those got laid out during the Coldplay concert through drugs and alcohol, through parties, through wild sex, through the deepest soulmate relationship you hope to ever find that you hopefully will find on Match.com or eHarmony, right? <laughs> no. And, um, or you can try to find it through addiction to something, or you can try to find it ultimately through power. But none of them will satisfy. It's guaranteed. The crazy thing is that we find our lives by losing them. Mark 10:45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew 10:39. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. We're not asking, Jesus is not asking, that we erase ourselves, that we give up who we are. But we fully discover who we are and who we are created to be by giving up our rights and not demanding that people meet us where we are but going and meeting people where they are. It's profound. It's a life changer. I mean, I love what Kip shared and I got teary listening to him talk about it because that's why I've loved working with students because they're still raw enough and willing to go there. And what's been sad for me is to watch as we get older, we can harden our hearts and not want to go there. But this is what it takes. Emptying ourselves and not demanding our rights. So what are the implications? We don't think of our relationship with God as exclusive or something we hoard or keep to ourselves. Remember, Jesus did not try to cling to his power or privilege but let it go. Instead, we learn from the self-giving and humble love of Jesus. And we can't do any of this without the power of the Spirit, so please don't think this is going to be under your own power. Only the Holy Spirit gives me the power and the strength to want to live that sacrificial way. Only the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to go to junior high baseball games. <laughs> only, only, only the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to sit and listen uh, to who was going to go with who to homecoming for over 30 years in a row. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But if you, if you don't listen and talk about that stuff, you can't talk about the deep things, right? So, simply put, we meet people where they are and do not demand that they meet us on 
our terms. So, one of the things I love about being free Methodist is there's always a so what. You know, let's get practical, let's get real. What does this mean? I think we have two options, as I said at the beginning. We can point a finger and judge, or we can approach and engage and listen. And just listen a lot. And keep asking questions. I find in conversations that most people aren't really listening. They're just waiting for you to run out of breath so that they can start talking. Or they're hearing what you say and they're just forming a rebuttal in their head so they can argue back at you, rather than really listen. It's one of the greatest gifts we can give to people is to actually listen. I believe that Jesus chose the latter option. I believe that he chose the option of approaching and engaging every time. The only anger he had were for the religious people, <laughs> which I think is rather fascinating. We're only able to do this by emptying ourselves through kenosis. So my question that I want to leave us with today is this, to think out loud together, what might this look like in your life today? With your neighbor, with a family member, with a coworker? What might it look like tomorrow? What might it look like this coming week? And, and don't make it too hard on yourself. Don't think you've got to go all the way to like a foreign country. I mean, I, I have students a lot of times will say to me, well, Kelly, I think, you know, there's so much going on in the Middle East, we all need to go there. You know, the church isn't active there. We, and I said, fair enough, there's so much going on there. But before we go across the world, we need to go across the street. And we learn how to stretch by just starting where we are. So think about if God's putting someone on your heart where you need to meet them where they are, pour yourself out and do that because Jesus did, not because you feel sorry for people or because you think they need it. God's asking you to leave your position of comfort and privilege and enter the world of others. So allow me to pray for us and I think then we'll, we'll finish with a song or a few and go from there. Lord, I have thought about these words and this teaching for a long time, decades. And I always find something new in it. So I thank you that your spirit is present in these words, asking us to let go, to lose our lives in order to find them. Help us to know how to do that in a world that's all about consuming and clinging to our power and privilege. Help us to live differently. Help people to see that difference and ask more questions. Thank you for the power of your spirit, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Really appreciate you being here. Can we give Kelly a hand? As we wrap up the service, um, this is our time where we, if you take an offering, if you, you, you give via check or cash or whatever, um, that as Audra finishes with this last song, um, 
we, you can prepare that. A lot of us give online, and so we do it that way. Um, but the other thing we do at this point is to, t- is to uh, fill out our connection card. And so um, if you would do that, we would like to get one of those from every family, every household, actually. And, um, and then we take that offering in the connection cards, and we put those in the back. But Kelly left us with a challenge um, that we might think about how do we get out of our comfort zone and engage. And um, that is available so many ways here um, and in your neighborhood. And one of the things is, like we were talking about, to go fix up the home on the 24th. It might be um, volunteering in children's ministry. There's no better thing you can do than invest into the next generation. And so uh, you might want to do that and volunteer in children's ministry as we uh, celebrated Pat and Kathy Rothenberg who've been doing that for a long time. Or maybe, maybe it's youth ministry. I don't know. But th- during this time, seek the Lord. Ask Him. He'll speak to you and, uh, and uh, give you your next steps.